0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Grove. Yeah, we're awake this morning. The sun's shining. It is so good to see all of you here. My name is Stephen, and I am one of the pastors here. And you picked a really good morning to be in church because, because we are in the middle of a sermon series. And this sermon series, we've kind of been laying out, like Allie mentioned at the beginning of our service. We're kind of laying out kind of a map for the shape that life typically takes Now, for many of us, we've kind of been educated and formed and sold on this upward trajectory that life is supposed to take. That things are always supposed to move up and to the right. But what happens, as we all know, is that's not usually what happens in life. There's a lot more peaks and valleys like the song describes. And so we have to reconcile this idea of the version of life that we've been told is waiting for us in the version of life that we find ourselves living. And so how do we reconcile these ideas? And one of the things that we're looking at is like all throughout Scripture, Jesus gives us models for kind of the shape that our life's supposed to take. And what happens is kind of the world gives us one version of this life we're supposed to move towards. But there's this very fundamental kind of characteristic, there's this very fundamental aspect of our life that really is the basis of how we're supposed to live, and it's kind of this way that we form and shape our soul. So we have lots of guidance on how you can build a successful career or maybe parenting tips and techniques that help you or relationship advice that you're given, but there's not a lot of advice out in the world provided about the way that you're supposed to shape and form your soul. And what we recognize is that as our soul is formed and shaped, it creates a depth and a significance to life that the rest of life can't speak to a depth and significance that the rest of life can't even touch. And so that's really the goal of this series, is to help us kind of understand what this map, what this cartography of life is supposed to look like. And so one of the biggest challenges that we face in life as we navigate the road of life is sometimes we hit a detour or sometimes we take a wrong turn. And so kind of universally, it's this idea of theodicy or this problem of pain. What do we do as people of faith when bad things happen in life? What happens in moments of suffering and difficulty? How do we navigate that? How do we reconcile the existence of really difficult situations in our life with this belief and this idea that there is a God who loves us and cares about us and wants good things for us? If life is supposed to always move up and to the right, what happens when it stops doing that? What do we do as people? And one of the things that I've noticed as a pastor is there are typically two responses to suffering in our life. We either kind of cower and shrink in the face of it, or we allow it to teach us something. We allow there to be wisdom that's gained from that season of suffering that we find ourselves in, and we're able to learn and be transformed, and we're able to turn it into something positive in our life. Now, we all know that there's not just one season of suffering that we'll go through. For some of us, it feels like we have been in season after season after season. It's like in Texas, we just kind of have one season. It's like summer. It's like early summer, summer, and then late summer. And for some of us, it feels like you just have been in like early suffering, suffering, and then late suffering, just from one season of suffering to the next. But for others of you, you can remember a significant moment in your life, a significant period of time where you weren't sure how you were going to get out of it. You weren't sure why it happened. You were wrestling with some of those big philosophical existential questions in life about like, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? God, how could you lead me to this place? Why didn't you take care of me? Why didn't you protect my family or my career or whatever it may be? And so what happens when we come to this place is we have to learn how to navigate them well. And there's often little advice out in the world about how to do that. And so knowing that this is a significant kind of place that we come to in the journey of life, I think it's valuable for us as people of faith to learn how to navigate it well, to learn how to use these moments of suffering and these seasons of suffering to allow ourselves to be transformed and to kind of turn them into something positive. Because we all know people who have had some significant setback, some significant tragedy in their life. And that wound that they were left with, that lingering kind of indication of that season of suffering, they're still holding on to it. Their life has become small and brittle and bitter because they cling to that wound. They cling to the way that they've been wronged or betrayed, the transgression that's happened in their past, the unfairness of the world. And their whole life has shrunk and reduced around that wounding. And we also know people who we don't understand how they've been able to navigate the things that they've navigated, how they're able to wake up in the morning and be positive and joyful and optimistic, how they can live big and beautiful and generative lives, knowing all of the difficulty and suffering that they've gone through. And so what separates these two people? Is it just something in their character and their very nature? Some people were born to be able to handle hardship and adversity and other people weren't. Or is there a way that we can learn how to navigate it? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And to do that, I'm going to look at a story from the Old Testament out of the book of Genesis. One of the things that I think is kind of a, a reminder of how common suffering is in life is how often Scripture talks about people in the, in the Bible wrestling with difficulty, wrestling with hardship. The Psalms are filled with just language of people writing to God, talking about how hard life is. So many of the stories are not these beautiful, clean, neat, tidy, perfect stories that we would see on the cover of a magazine today as we're checking out of the grocery store. The stories in Scripture are people who make mistakes, people who tragedy happens to them, people who stumble and mess up and then try to figure out how they recover from the choices and kind of the decisions that they've made. Because suffering is a part of life. And so the story that we're going to look at today is one of my favorite in Scripture just because of all of um, kind of the interesting details, all of the metaphor, all of the different layers of truth that I think it conveys. And it's a story about a man named Jacob. And if you're not real familiar with Jacob's story, I'm going to kind of condense a bunch of chapters in Genesis into about 45 seconds. And so really what's happened in Jacob's story, if you remember, Jacob was born a twin. And he has a brother named Esau. And Jacob and Esau were born to their father Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. So if you hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is kind of where this comes from. So Jacob was born second in line to his brother Esau. And he comes out holding his brother's heel. And one of the things that you should know about that time period is names were really significant. They communicated an identity. They communicated an expectation of who that person would be in their life. Sometimes we still have that today. You've got a family name. You've got something that you've been carrying from you know, generation to generation. And it confers some sort of meaning. But most of the time it's like, well, I picked that name out of the book. Or there was a really attractive actor or actress who had your name. And that's why your name the way you are. Not so in that time period. And so Jacob's name literally means like one who grabs on. One uh, who tries to deceive or usurp. Uh, In our modern kind of parlance, it would be like he's a hustler. Jacob's just a hustler. That's kind of who he is. He's the guy that you're like, sell me this pen. And Jacob would have been been able to sell you the pen. So Jacob's born uh, with his brother Esau. And along the story of Jacob and Esau is Jacob tricks Esau into giving Jacob his kind of birthright. The kind of firstborn inheritance that's promised to the firstborn. So Jacob tricks Esau into giving him his birthright. And then Jacob tricks his father Isaac into bestowing that inheritance upon Jacob. Then later in the story, Jacob tricks his uncle Laban to give him the best sheep in the flock. And so all through Jacob's life, it's been marked by deception, manipulation, hustle, as he's expanded his sense of identity, as he's expanded his kind of wealth and status and empire, so to speak. And the point of the story of Jacob's life that we're going to look at today is uh, when Jacob decides that he's, he's got a lot of success in life and he's ready to come back home. Now, if you remember from last week, kind of in the trajectory of all of our lives is this initial drive and pull, this restlessness to leave home, to set out to make a name for ourselves, so to speak, to construct and build an identity. And this is what Jacob does. But inevitably what happens is Jacob's ready to come back home but he's got a problem. He has burned all of the relational bridges along his path. And so you can imagine that if Jacob has deceived and manipulated his family his entire life to lead to the success that he has now, he's not going to be that welcome when he comes back. So what Jacob does is he sends some messengers to his brother Esau to just kind of test the waters, just to see like, all right, let me send the birthday card to see if I get one back to kind of check out what the status of the relationship is. And so Jacob does this and what he hears back from the messenger is that your brother Esau is coming and he's coming with 400 men. And so you can imagine kind of the assumption that Jacob's making is that his brother's coming to exact his revenge with his posse of people. So you can imagine, you know, Esau in the lead and 400 men on horseback, you know, out of some Western, you know, riding across the, you know, the plain of that time period coming to have this showdown with Jacob. So what Jacob does is he sends all of his family, all of his livestock, all of his servants on ahead across the river. And Jacob's left alone in the valley of this river in the middle of the night, waiting for the next morning in his showdown with his brother Esau. And this is where our story picks up. So this is out of Genesis 32, verse 24. And it says, So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, What's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. And Jacob says back, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he left the place, and he was limping Because of his hip. What we have in this story is kind of basic and as simple as it might seem, is this beautiful kind of description of the process of suffering that we all go through. Jacob finds himself alone, distressed, scared, and in a wrestling match with somebody that he can't identify. And so, the first thing that we can understand about suffering, the first thing that suffering teaches us, is that it feels a lot like wrestling. I think one of the things that's interesting about this story is all of the metaphor that exists. We don't really know who Jacob was wrestling with. We don't know. It says a man at first. Later, Jacob identifies him as God. It could have been an angel. There's some kind of biblical scholars who place this story in a Near East context with a myth and a belief that there were river demons that exist. And people trying to cross the river had to do battle and combat and navigate these river demons Maybe it was Jacob's own demons that he was wrestling in this moment. Maybe it was Jacob's subconscious that he was wrestling. But in moments of suffering, it does feel like wrestling, especially when life happens to you, when life feels like it has been unfair to you. We wrestle with God, so to speak. We ask these questions about God How could you let this happen? Where were you? Why didn't you save my loved one? Why didn't you fix my marriage? Why did you allow my career to end in the way that you did? Why did you let them betray me? Why? 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 These are all really valid, really important questions. There's a wrestling with God that we do in these seasons of suffering, wondering whether or not God is listening to us, wondering whether or not God cares, God knows, God hears, whether or not God's active is going to do anything about it. There is this wrestling with God that we do in these seasons of suffering. But there's also a wrestling with ourselves whether it's in seasons that have happened to you or seasons that you have created on your own because of the choices that you've made. We wrestle with feelings of shame and guilt and regret. We wrestle with feelings of abandonment and uncertainty and insecurity. We wrestle with wondering whether or not we're good enough, whether or not we're lovable. We wrestle with the limitations of our own strength. We wrestle with navigating how we leverage all of our abilities. We wrestle with the limitations that we find in life or the limitations that have been placed upon us. We wrestle with setting boundaries with others and with ourselves. We wrestle with struggling to navigate relationships, having a relationship, being in a relationship, fulfilling the commitments of all of the relationships that we have. We struggle and wrestle with ourselves as we try to navigate a vocation and a career and a calling, how to parent, how to raise our children right, how to be good friends, and to be well-liked by people around us. So much of the suffering that we feel in life oftentimes feels like a wrestling match. That's what we see in the story of Jacob. It is a difficult struggle that he goes through. And it's not just kind of this quick momentary thing. It is a wrestling with something or someone or something inside of himself, whether it is the God outside of Jacob or the God within inside of Jacob. But in the season of, of suffering... There is a wrestling that happens. The other thing about seasons of suffering that I think this story tells us is that uh, suffering can be lonely and it can be slow. There's something that happens in the most difficult moments in our life where it feels like we have to navigate this all by ourselves. Even if we are navigating this with a group of people or navigating this with a family. I think that's maybe one of the most challenging things about COVID is even though we were all in this together, it felt like we were all having to navigate this difficulty on our own. The choices, the decisions, it felt like a very isolating thing. That was something that I heard a lot, not just because of the physical isolation, but the emotional and the psychological isolation that suffering can cause us. I also know that when life happens to us in these seasons of suffering, Sometimes it's hard to talk about it with other people. It's hard to want to share. It's like when you were a small child and you cut your finger and you wrapped your hand around it and mom or dad was like, show me. And you are like, "Mm mm-mm. Like, let me see it. Mm -mm." Mm-mm. There's this tendency to want to hold on to the hurt and to the pain and to the wounds. We don't want to open it up and expose it to the light and to the air. We don't want to tell anybody else around it. There's an inherent kind of tendency to be secretive about the difficulty that we're facing especially in this community, in our culture. I think that's one of the greatest values of church is that we can be people who show up and kind of open up our wounds to say, this is what's going on. This is what's hard. Because when you see everybody else being secretive about the difficulties and the suffering in their life, it sure doesn't make you that inclined to want to share that with other people. You're like, well, gosh, everybody else seems to have it together. Nobody else is going through anything. We're the only ones that, you know, the wheels are falling off at home. And that's just not true. We just don't share it with anybody because it's lonely and it's isolating. The other thing that happens in suffering is time moves really differently than it does in normal day-to-day life. In normal day-to-day life, it's like, oh my gosh, it's almost May. Like You just don't realize how fast the time goes. You're so busy with all of the, the commitments and the responsibilities that you have, all of the yeses that you've said that you're trying to fulfill. And then something happens when you find yourself in a season of suffering. It's like things move in dog years or dog minutes. I mean, how long were we in COVID? Like 17 years. I mean, it's a forever. The same thing when you go through difficulty, whether it's loss or it's like a hard transition or the end of something, it just feels like you stay in that place forever. Like when is this ever gonna be over? When do I have to stop wrestling with these emotions? When do I have to start? Stop wrestling with this sadness. When does it start to feel okay? When does normal return? When does everything kind of go back to the way it was? Time moves really differently in seasons of suffering, and that's what we see in the story of Jacob. In the very first verse, it says, "So Jacob was left alone; he was isolated. All of his people, all of his servants, all of his community, his tribe—they were gone." And it was Jacob in this place all by himself. And so he wrestled with this man, this thing, we don't know what it was, till daybreak, all night long. That's a long time to wrestle. I'm not much of a wrestler, but like, you know, from watching UFC and WWE and things like that, it's like, it's like 10 minutes and these guys are exhausted. And so you can imagine wrestling for the entire night till daybreak. How exhausting that would be in a literal sense in this story. But we know from your own experiences how exhausting wrestling in seasons of suffering is. It feels like you don't have the capacity or the energy to do anything else or get anything else done. It is singular focus, front of mind, and you don't know how to move forward because it is all-consuming. That's what's so hard about this is kind of the emotional and the psychological and the spiritual toll that seasons of suffering have in our life. But slowly as this time lingers, as we have these moments of isolation, they're not without opportunity and they're not without purpose. I think one of the reasons that suffering is so lonely and so slow is it creates the space for intimacy with the things that are going on in our life. It creates space for intimacy with ourselves, with the conversation, with introspection. See, the tendency is to not want to look, to want to hold it tight, to not show it to anybody even to ourselves, to ignore everything's fine and we just keep moving on. But because time moves slow and because we find ourselves oftentimes in isolation, it gives us the space to become intimate with those deep, vulnerable, soft spots in our life. It helps us reconnect with the ways that maybe others have failed us or ways that maybe we failed ourselves. It exposes the deep vulnerabilities That we have in our lives, the longings that maybe we weren't always aware were there, the needs that have gone unmet for a period of time, the hurt, the sorrow, the sadness that we don't want to talk about or show to anybody, but is there. It's easy for us to ignore this and to move past it, but that's something that seasons of suffering allow us to do is to become reacquainted and familiar with the hard parts of life and the soft spots within ourselves. And so that's why suffering can change us also. It provides the opportunity for something to be realized. It provides the opportunity for us to become acquainted with parts of ourselves that maybe we didn't know were there. This is what we see happening in Jacob's story. There's this exchange about names. And if you remember, names conveyed identity. And so in this exchange of names, in this gifting, in this naming of a new name, there is a change in identity for Jacob. The man asks him in verse 27, what is your name? And Jacob is what he answered. I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. I'm a hustler, baby. I just want you to know. This is what Jacob replies back. You can Google that later. Some of you are real confused. They're like, why did he say baby in church? What kind of place is this? But Jacob answers. He shares his identity. He shares who he is with the angel, the man, God, whoever he's wrestling with. And then there's this shift. There's this change. There's this transformation. And it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. You have a new name you have a new identity. You have a new calling and opportunity awaiting you. Jacob becomes Israel and Israel becomes the father of a whole nation of people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the fathers of the Israelites. It's not just Jacob who gets a new name, but his descendants take on a new name. They inherit this understanding and this identity of people who struggle with God and struggle with humans. As people of the Christian faith, we are descendants of this lineage and this heritage. We, too, own this identity. We are people who struggle and wrestle with God and with humans. But it doesn't just change our identity. Sometimes it changes our very nature, our lives. This is what happens to Jacob. When they're wrestling, the man realized he couldn't overpower Jacob, and so he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, we don't know what kind of move it was. You know, maybe for your old wrestling fans, he would put him in the figure four and kind of twerked his leg. We don't really know what happened, but hip comes out of socket in some way. There's some injury, soft tissue or bone to Jacob's leg, and at the very end, Verse 31, at the end of the story, it says, The sun rose above Jacob as he left the place. And he was limping because of his hip. Now, we don't know if this was a forever injury, uh, a seasonal injury. We We don't really know if he was able to rehab and play again next season. We don't know what happened to Jacob. But what we do know is he left that place wounded. I think that's one of the things that suffering can do to us is it wounds us. It leaves us with a limp, so to speak. But I think the limp uh, is oftentimes something that we try to hide, just like the original wound. The scar tissue is something that we try to cover up. We wear the long sleeves and, you know, the, the high collar, so nobody sees the wounds that we carry in this life from those seasons of suffering that we experience. But I actually think that these wounds, these limps, are a badge of honor, so to speak. They're an indication that we have struggled, that we have wrestled with God and with man, with ourselves. I think when we show off our limp, when we allow others to see the way that we walk and the way that we limp, it lets them know that we've navigated something significant. We've come out on the other side of something difficult, that we're not who we once were. There is a new name and there is a new identity we have taken on something. We have learned something about ourselves and allowed it to teach us something. We've experienced the intimacy of the difficult moments in our life and maybe the deeper nature and character of ourselves. We've inherited a newer, fuller identity, one that allows us to recognize the wounds in other people. There's a kind of a, an interesting description that Suffering that's not transformed is transmitted. It's this idea that hurt people hurt people. And so when, we're allowed, when we allow suffering to change us, when we allow suffering to wound us, and then we move forward and show others that limp, we give other people the courage to do the same. I think that's one of the greatest values of a community of faith like this, is we can be a bunch of people who will show our limps and show our wounds to each other to give other people empowerment and courage to own the difficulties that they've navigated in their own lives. We can let go of the facade that no longer serves us, these bright, shiny, polished exteriors and veneers that we think everybody wants to see. That's one of the things that I've learned the most as a pastor. I thought that I used to believe that the more I could act like I had it together... And the, sh- the wider my shoes and the wider my teeth, the better it would be for people. Ironically, I'm wearing white shoes today. But what I'm learning is I got to walk with a limp. I got to show the wounds. I got to show the vulnerable parts of my life, and that's something that's hard to do. You don't. I mean, standing in front of a group of people is its own challenge. But but also walking with a limp, letting people see that you don't have it all figured out, that you don't have it together, that. You're just like them trying to make your way through this thing called life. And sometimes you do a better job of it than others. Some of the wounds happen to me. Some of the, most of the wounds are self-inflicted in my life. Like that's tricky. But I think that's the value of this place is we can all show up and we can be people who walk with limps. The last thing that I think suffering can do for us is, even if it doesn't feel like it at first, suffering can be a blessing it really can. This is the whole point of the wrestling match in Jacob's story. He is asking for a blessing. Now, the way that we understand blessing, it may not be that you know the lotto ticket hits next week. That may not be the blessing that we receive. It might not be a, a check in the mail from a long-lost relative who you are the only descendant of. You know, that may not be how it works. But there is a, a gift that our wounds can provide us. There is a gift that they can offer us. One of the things that I think is beautiful about about Jacob's story is in the middle of the wrestling match, after the name has been exchanged, it says, then he blessed him there, and then Jacob walks off limping. I think one of the blessings or the ways that suffering can be a blessing in our own life is because it teaches us something about ourselves. During the time, during the isolation in that process of transformation, it is often that we have space to recognize some wisdom that is available in our suffering, the way that it teaches us things. My guess is if you think about some of the most difficult moments in your life, they're probably some of the greatest teachers you've ever had. You've learned a lot about other people, you've learned a lot about yourself, the way that you responded or didn't respond to those difficult moments in your life, the way that the people around you did or didn't respond, there is a lot of learning that can exist in that there's a lot of revelation that can occur in these seasons of suffering that teaches you maybe about what's most important to you that you didn't realize was important about what your values truly are or what they you thought they were that they actually aren't about what's important in your life it allows you a sense of gratitude and appreciation for your family for your friends for the people who are truly with you all of these things are gifts But they're so difficult to see when life gets really hard. They're so difficult to hold on to in the midst of all of the suffering. But when we allow it, suffering truly can be a blessing. There's this beautiful quote that Richard Rohr describes about this process of wrestling with God. He says this, he says, wrestling with God, with life, and with ourselves is necessary The blessing usually comes in a wounding of some sort, and for most of us, it is an entire life of limping along to finally see the true and real blessing in our life. The blessing usually comes in a wounding of some sort, and for most of us, it is an entire life of limping along to finally see the true and real blessings in our life. I think that's maybe one of the biggest takeaways about the two responses that we can have to suffering. For some of us, we encounter seasons of suffering and we move away from them real quickly. They hurt. They're hard. They feel like this isn't how life was supposed to go. Life has stopped following the plan that we had all along and we try to move past or numb out these difficult seasons in our life. But by doing that, we miss the wisdom that it has for us. We miss the opportunity to be transformed, to be changed, to take on a new identity. The wound and the difficulty still remains, but we miss out on the gift and the blessing that exists in us. But for others, when we allow it, in those seasons when we allow it to be our teacher, when we spend enough time with it, we're able to take away the blessing, even if it comes with a limp. And so as you think about The seasons of suffering in your life, whether they are long past or you are right in the middle of them, what gifts were born out of those seasons? What blessings did you discover? What did you learn that you didn't know before? What have you rediscovered that maybe you had forgotten? Those seasons of suffering are not things to be avoided. They're opportunities for us to be transformed. I think what's so hard about these, these seasons of suffering in our life is that the rest of the world will tell you that it's because you've done something wrong or because life has been unfair to you. I don't see evidence for that at all in scripture. What I see is a constant reminder that in the midst of the suffering in our lives, that God is present, that God is with us, that God wants us to wrestle with ourselves and with God because in those difficult moments, in those dark nights of the soul, are the opportunities for us to discover a fuller, a deeper, a richer life that is available to us. If we stay on the surface, if we stay on this level of shiny, polished veneer, we miss out on all of the good parts of life. Yes, it comes with difficulty. Yes, it comes with loss and grief and sorrow and sadness. And yes, it means you likely have to walk with a limp. But I truly believe that's where all of the blessings are in life. So my prayer for us would be that we would very quickly discover seasons of suffering. Not because they're fun, but because they're rich with opportunity and rich with blessing. That when we find ourselves in them, that we can learn from them, that we can be changed by them. And that we can recognize how to show up for other people when they find themselves in a similar place this is what ends up happening in Jacob's story. He leaves a new person. He leaves a renewed person with a new identity and with a limp. He reconciles with his brother Esau. Esau wasn't out to get him after all. And it's this beautiful kind of moment of healing and wholeness and kind of reuniting as a family. And obviously Jacob goes on to be the father of a whole nation of people, the father of a faith and people that We follow in their lineage. So we take on the name of Israel, people who struggle and wrestle with God and with others. And so may we go and do that each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly God, thank you for the way that you've continued to present opportunities for us to experience a fuller and richer and deeper life. For a way that, We can navigate suffering different than how we're told to. That we can identify the blessing that exists within it and allow it to transform us closer towards the people you've called us to be. Let us not lose sight of the gift that exists in these seasons of suffering and be reminded that even in the midst of them, you are with us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.